We're talking about the kind of freedom we have in Christ, the type of freedom. How do we use your freedom? We've been given freedom. Why do we have that freedom? And what is the best way to use that freedom? So please read along with me. We're going to read um, chapter 10, verses 23, down through 11, verse 1. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 23, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and wants and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience' sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another, another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Let's pray once again. Again, Father, we are grateful to be here, and we are thankful for your grace in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us from your word. We're thankful for this passage written so long ago to a church in such a troubled state, and yet um, we learn so much from it today. This is your word, so help us to hear your truth this morning and apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. How to use your Christian freedom, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, verse 1. What are some things that Christians give up for the sake of helping other believers in the faith? doesn't have to be you in particular, but what, give me some examples here as we open of things that Christians tend to give up today to help others in the faith, those weaker brothers in the faith. Yes? Alcohol. Okay. So uh, one motive for, for um, uh, not drinking alcohol would be it would cause others to stumble. Um, and so... Uh, I was. Um, I heard the story about one pastor who asked that question in a Q and A time, and somebody said, "Well, I don't drink alcohol in front of other believers," um, which he just shared with everybody that he still drinks alcohol, but just not in front of <laughs> other believers. Um, but it's true. That's one of those what we might call gray areas that uh, people. Um, uh, some people might have a conviction that others might not. We know it's wrong to get drunk. The Bible's clear on that, Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Um, But we know that there are different convictions about alcohol, and it can cause others to stumble. What's something else that someone might give up? Yes? 
movies, right? Even movies about William Wallace. Some people might think, oh man, I, I can't watch that. It it's, uh, sears my conscience. I, I uh, yeah, you have kids and you're watching a movie. Are your kids able to walk in the room and watch whatever you're watching? Um, the same would be true with people young in the faith. Um, uh, even TV shows. TV has, has used to be, I think, safer when I was a kid, but it seems like Actually, the, um, uh, I was reading at one stage, but uh, the organization that oversees um, film and television um, and gives ratings, uh, you ever wonder why you, know, you see a remake of a film made in 1940 and it's a lot more explicit than it was in 1940 if it was made in 2020, for example. Um, one of the reasons is, is because the standards by which they... Um, measure ratings is dependent upon whether it offends the current culture. And so that bar keeps on going downhill, and so the ratings keep on getting more uh, um, permissive in in what is acceptable for the culture. That doesn't mean that we should go down the same slide. Um, And what is your motivation to give up something, something that you might feel like you have the freedom to do. What, what would motivate you to do that? Yes. The glory of the Lord. Yeah, the, one of the key verses here in this passage, the one that really kind of shouts out and affects everything else in this section is verse 31, whether then you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And really that's one of the secrets to a fulfilled life, that's a secret to true joy in life, is um, giving glory to God. When we talk about giving glory to God, it's not as though we add to his glory. There are two aspects of glory when we think about God's glory. There is his inherent glory. Uh, Nobody can give him or make him more glorious than he naturally is. But there's also a glory that is ascribed to him where we recognize the glory that is due his name and we give him praise for that glory. And it's in Psalms like Psalm 29, which says, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And so when we think about our Christian freedom, and I think... Sometimes we look at areas and we think about areas like, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, things where the Bible doesn't ex- explicitly say. There's, there's nothing in the Bible uh, explicitly on whether you can or cannot do it on several issues. Again, we call these gray issues. Uh, it may be tattoos. It may be um, belly rings. Belly rings were, were com- real popular at one time. I, I didn't really fall to the fad, but, um, um, you know, how short your shorts could be. Um, when one of my daughters was younger, she wanted to wear some shorts that I thought were too short. And, um, and uh, they, they had rips in them, and the pockets of, they were cut off jeans, and the pockets actually went down lower than the shorts, and um, the reply was, but this is the style, you know? And so I was very glad to be informed of that. I went and got one of my pairs of old jeans, and I, <laughs> I, cut, 
I cut the jeans nice and short, about the same length. I made sure the pockets could go all the way down and be seen. And I put them on and came downstairs. <laughs> to which one of my kids said, but you would never go outside in that. I said, sure I would. If this is the style, why wouldn't I? So I go outside and uh, my neighbors are outside and they, they say, hey, what's going on? So I told them, I said, apparently this is the style. And if my kids have the freedom to wear this, I think I should have the freedom. So, but I guess the question could be asked, why does God give us freedom? I mean, wouldn't it be easier if he just gave us a list of everything? No belly rings, uh, no shorts that go below the, above the pockets. Um, you know, uh, wouldn't it be great if we just had a list? Why give freedom? Because he loves us. So it, he does, I agree. That's, that's true. Does, does he give us freedom for our enjoyment primarily? No. So why give it to us if it's not for our enjoyment primarily? Yes. So we can serve others and give them up. It's this idea of selflessness, this idea behind freedom. And, and this is why I think we struggle when we think about freedoms to give up for others. Because when we think of freedoms, we think of how it benefits us. And our whole culture and everything around us is, tells us, well, freedom, and you have freedom, and this is for you. And Paul's whole message in 1 Corinthians 10 and 9 and 8 has been Yes, you have freedom so that you can freely give it up to benefit others because God is glorified when he sees his children taking something that they don't have to do and yet they relinquish that freedom so that they might serve others and honor others. It's beautiful when you look at freedoms. And in our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians 10 23 through 11, verse 1, we're going to see five guidelines that will help you use your Christian freedom in a way which will truly glorify God. Five guidelines. This is to help us deal with issues when we don't know, uh, when the Bible is not clear, it doesn't give us a, a yes or no. Five guidelines for freedom. The first one is freedom glorifies God when it builds his kingdom. Freedom glorifies God when it builds his kingdom. Take a look at 1 Corinthians um, uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 10, verse 23, which says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. All, all things are lawful seems to have been a slogan that the Corinthians had latched onto. It was their catch-all slogan when they wanted to sin in the gray area. You know, and it's very likely that Paul would have said this. He was with them for 18 months prior to these letters, and so he had lived with them. He had ministered among them. At some stage, he must have said something like, all things are lawful, because repeated throughout this letter, we find that phrase, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. First, again, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So he's written to the Corinthians before, and he did it. We know that he was speaking, that he's not saying when he says all things, he's not saying that I can do anything I want, because there were certain things that are clearly defined 
as sin. Back in 1 Corinthians 6, when he said that in verse 12, it comes right after verses 9 through 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. You can turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you say, really? Well, what if I've done one of those things? Well, if you were, many of the Corinthians had been involved in those sorts of things, because he says very clearly in verse 11, such were some of you. In other words, that is what used to characterize your life. Your life used to be characterized by deceit or fornication or idolatry or adultery or being effeminate or homosexual or thieves or covetous or drunkards or revilers or swindlers. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God." The washing represents that cleansing. Sanctification is the opposite side of the same coin for cleansing. It's that being set apart for service to the Lord. And then justification is that, that declaration from God that you are clean, that you are forgiven, that you are righteous. It's a declaration. It's a legal term, actually. You have been justified. That is to be declared righteous. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God, and then verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me. The all things there, he's certainly not referring to a lifestyle characterized by sin. He's saying all things that the Bible explicitly doesn't speak about, whether it's right or wrong, I have all kinds of freedom. I'm free. And then he says, but, I, but not all things are profitable. And he goes on to talk about that he will not be mastered by anything. So when you have a freedom that is taking control of you and, and it's, it's not to the glory of God, then that's clear that it's sin. But he goes on back into our area here in verse 23 of chapter 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things are will edify. And the word edify there literally means to build, and it has the word house in there. It's a term that you would use uh, to build a house or to strengthen something. We use the term edifice today, which is the front of a house or the face of a house, comes from this very word. Uh, It's a word, uh, as I've shared with you before, that I tried to adopt one time when I was a junior high pastor, because junior hires are often tearing themselves down. So I said, our group word is going to be edify. And one day as I was driving the the church bus with junior hires, and I heard a kid just tearing somebody else down, I said, hey, edify. And the kid behind me said, yeah, edify, stupid. (laughs) So turned out we needed to do some more thinking about that word. But the... um, The point that that Paul is making here is that if you're really going to use your freedom to glorify God, the first question you should ask yourself is, if I use my liberty here, will this help build up others? Because freedom is not something that we are to to try to um, take advantage to feed our own desires. We have freedom so that we can give up 
something that we can legally do to help build others up. That's why we have freedom. You see, the Bible's logic, God's logic about freedom is so antithetical to the way the world looks at freedom, and it's hard for us to think about it in this same way. But the first guideline is, will it build up others? and, And second guideline we find is, will it bless others? Verses 24, and then later we're going to look down at verses 29 through 30. But first of all, verse 24, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24, it says, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. So this concept of considering others better than yourself was something Paul often wrote about. He writes about it here in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10, verse 24, um, he, writes, he wrote about in Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done from selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to, what, uh, to one another. Um, and I think that One of the reasons that we don't practice this today is not only because we don't think of others, but also I think one of the reasons is because we tend to have it, live in a culture that glorifies just slandering others and bringing others down. And... Um, Getting, in in one way or another, we have a temptation, because it's in the world, to make ourselves seem better than the other. Oftentimes for men, this could be done through physical violence, just beating, I mean, from the earliest days on the playground. Somebody insults you, you take them down. And there's that that desire in you. Uh, And it's, it's it's not something that glorifies God. Others might, might uh, uh, have somebody do something mean to them, so they'll, they'll do something mean back to them. They might slander them or tell gossip about them or, or try to get them with words. It's this idea of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you. And we, we kind of rejoice in that. I think even as Christians, sometimes when we have debates with other Christians over theological issues, we sometimes, we, just, we don't care about the other person. We just want to win. We just want them to say, wow, you're smart. One of my favorite illustrations is one I read about between George Whitfield and John Wesley, where, of course, their doctrines uh, back when they lived were, were really opposed to one another, and the people who followed them were often opposed to one another. And one day, one of Whitfield's followers said to him, do you think when we get to heaven we shall see John Wesley there? And Whitfield said, no, I do not think we shall. And he was delighted to hear Whitfield say that. And then Mr. Whitfield then added, I believe that Mr. John Wesley will have a place so near the throne of God and that such poor creatures as you and I will be so far off as to hardly be able to see him. I don't think we'll see him because he'll be so close to the throne and we'll be so far away because we're such, we're not worthy. 
I love it. I love it that you can disagree with somebody that much and yet speak that kindly about them and really build them up and be a blessing to them. It glorifies God. We're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to considering others before yourself. But I want to first look at the third, the third way that you can use your freedom to glorify God. And the third way is that it avoids legalism. It avoids legalism, verses 25 through 27. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 25, Paul writes, Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and, it contain, and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you. So we have two examples here that teach us to avoid legalism. The first one is verse 25, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. So for the first example is the meat market. In other words, you're going through the meat market, and in, in ancient times, we've, we've said time and time again that oftentimes meat that had been sacrificed to idols was then uh, a third of it would go to the priests, a third of it would go to the, uh, well, two-thirds would go to the priests, a third would go to the individual who, who brought it for the sacrifice, and then the priest would often take a portion for himself, and the rest he would sell in the meat market or to a butcher. And so you could get it at a discount rate because it was sold to the priest for less than normal meat would have been sold for. And so the question comes, well, when I come to the meat market, should I be asking? And Paul says, no, don't ask. There's no need to ask. Um, since, uh, you know, um, the, the idea here is that you have freedom to eat it. And mature believers understood that, and he's displayed that again and again, because an idol is nothing. It's just a piece of metal or a rock or whatever that somebody has ascribed to it. Now, when it came to eating in the temple as an act of worship, and, and temple, uh, temple meals in those days oftentimes resembled what we would see as a restaurant today. It would be a big banquet, but it would be open to the community, and it would be where people would go and socialize and fellowship, and there are many holidays for many pagan do- gods. So again, I'm, saying, I'm not saying you don't have the freedom to go to a restaurant, but uh, what I'm saying is that in those days, uh, it was so closely associated with idolatry that Paul has already dealt with that early in chapter 10, where he says, flee from idolatry. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And he's saying, yeah, don't have anything really to do with idolatry. But when it comes to buying meat, you don't need to ask where it's from. A second example he gives is if an unbeliever asks you over for dinner. And in verse 27, he says, one of the, if one unbeliever, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. You don't need to go there and be over-scrupulous scrupulous and, and just kind of uh, make it awkward for him. Hey, thanks for uh, inviting me over. By the way, this wasn't, uh, you know, you didn't sacrifice this to any, or did you, you know, you don't know if this has been sacrificed to an idol, do you? Rather, don't be legalistic about it is what he's saying. You don't need to, to make it really awkward. Um, you're not going to go dine out in... The, um, the, the temple. But if, uh, if you have somebody who's an unbeliever and you're a believer, 
maybe you knew them from before you came to faith in Christ, they invite you over, you have the freedom to go that. Now, the Jews didn't. And I think one of the reasons this was a real issue in Corinth is because uh, the Jews would never eat with a Gentile, and it was forbidden by their law. And so now that Christians were going to, to dine in the homes of unbelievers, that was a stumbling block for people in the church. And so they might feel really weird about that, especially if they had a Jewish background or they've been taught by somebody with a Jewish background. But, you know, I mean, for an unbeliever, most of them wouldn't have understood it anyways. They weren't familiar with Jewish culture, or if they were, and part of the problem was that many unbelievers did think that Christians was just another sect, Christianity was just another sect of Judaism. And so they might have thought, well, this person, they won't eat at my house. But if they invite you, go, eat. But don't make them feel bad about inviting you. Don't be this Holy Spirit just saying, yeah, this isn't sacrifice to an idol. Well, I'm not going to eat. Thanks for inviting me, but I'll just have the bread. Um, you know, I'm on a high-carb diet or, or whatever. Um, you know, if you were to say, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's almost like somebody today going into somebody's house and for dinner and saying, um, excuse me, you didn't cook this meat with any wine, did you? <laughs> because, you know, it's alcohol and wine, and ooh, I'm a teetotaler. Or uh, you, didn't, um, you, didn't, you didn't by any chance, um, uh, you know, steal this meat, did you? You see how condescending that is? This idea that, that you're kind of making an accusation, like you're not an unholy wretch, are you? You're trying to win the person to Christ. I remember one time when I was in high school, uh, one of my buddies from the football team, uh, I was at a party, and kids were drinking, but athletes were not permitted to drink, and we were all underage, so we weren't permitted to drink. And I didn't drink, um, and I was proud of not drinking, and my pride was probably just as sinful as the drinking. But anyways, um, uh, he offered me some of his Coke, uh, and uh, he had a 32-ounce and, and, uh, from AMPM, and, and so I took some of his Coke, and it was filled with Coke and rum. Um, now, I returned it to him, and I, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't like it. I figure, why acquire the taste if, if I'm just going to be a mocker? But anyways, um, I never felt guilty about drinking that because I had no idea. There's nothing going in my heart. Uh, had I known, had I been tempted, had I had the same amount, it would have been sin, sin for me because of the the place I'd put myself under, and because of my age, and because of a number of reasons, because of a sinful heart motive, uh, which, which is common at, at youthful parties like that. But I, I hope you see the idea here is that if you're not asking, you don't have to worry about it because you're not going into it and dealing with legalistic little minutiae that is going to make everybody around you completely uncomfortable. Is that clear? So and right in the middle there, there's a verse which says, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. That's Psalm 24, verse 1. He puts that in there because the idea here is that um, we're talking about meat here. That is a verse that the Jews used as a foundation for the reason why we pray before a meal. Because everything in this world is given to us from God. And therefore, if we are eating a meal, it's by his provision. And so, therefore, he deserves the glory, and so we thank him, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. We'll say more about that a little bit later. But let's go back to 
our, our third, well, we're going to go back to our second. Freedom glorifies when it blesses others. We've seen that when it builds its kingdom, when it uh, blesses others or considers others better than yourself, um, we've seen when it avoids legalism. But verses 28 through 30 expound more on being a blessing to others or considering others better than yourself. So I know this is a little confusing, but we saw verse 23 which was freedom glorifies God when it builds his kingdom. Verse 24, when it considers others better than yourself or or when it blesses others. Verses 25 through 27, when it avoids legalism. And verse 28 goes along with the same theme as the second one, when it blesses others. It's really, I think, I'm putting it as an extension of the second principle or second way that you are to glorify God with freedom. By blessing others. Verse 28 says, If anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience' sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? This is kind of a difficult section to understand, and it took me a while reading it over and over and saying, what is going on here? And I think one of the keys to understanding it is trying to identify who anyone is in verse 28. But if anyone says to you. So in this case, we're still going along with this picture. You're, somebody, you're at somebody's house for dinner. And if anyone there says to you, I don't think it's the person who invited you to the dinner, the unbeliever. Because it would be just strange, I think, for an unbeliever to invite you to dinner, prepare meat for you, and then say to you, uh, this meat is sacrificed to idols, knowing that that would be a stumbling block for you. Um, It could be that. The the passage is not uh, explicit, but it seems unlikely to me. It also seems unlikely to me that it would be a guest there who's also an unbeliever, because... Uh, it, just, it, it just seems like they're uh, bringing up something um, and, you know, you're trying to witness to them. And, again, it just doesn't seem like it would be fitting at a meal. It could happen. But I think the more likely scenario is that you're dining at the house of an unbeliever with another believer. And the other believer says, hey, this has been sacrificed to idols. And, you know, I came out of idolatry, and I don't want to go back to that. And this reminds me of all the things that went on in the temple and the temple prostitutes and the immorality and and the pagan, and, you know, demons are behind all idols. And this just really sears my, just really that sears my, it, it damages my conscience. And Paul has already talked about the conscience, and he's talked about the extremes of the conscience. He's talked about being, uh, having a, a, a conscience that, is so sensitive, that is underdeveloped, that is a weaker brother's conscience, that is one that basically says, um, uh, I feel like it's sin, so I shouldn't do it, even if you have the freedom to do it. In this case, he does have the freedom to do it, but his freedom is not informed from Scripture. He He doesn't think about an idol as nothing. He still thinks about it because he's young in the faith, and it will take him a while to mature. Um, when you have uh, the opposite thing that could happen with a conscience is that you could have it be seared, and that is calloused, 
where you violate your conscience so much that you tend to ignore your conscience, and so therefore you sin freely, and it doesn't bother you because the more you do it, the more you sear it and cover it over, and so you, your heart just becomes calloused over, and you don't feel those pinpricks that you used to feel. And so Paul is saying if you're in a situation where you're invited over to somebody's house and there is someone, presumably another brother, who says, hey, this has been sacrificed to idols, he says, do not eat it. Why? You have the freedom to eat it because it's better to serve your brother and not sear his conscience or cause an argument between the two or force him to violate his conscience. It would be better for you to love your brother and offend the one who invited you who's an unbeliever in the hopes that he would see the love you have for your brother than it would be for you to love the unbeliever at the expense of your brother. If you read the rest of it now, it says, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience' sake. And then just to clarify, he says, I mean not your conscience, but the other man. This is why I think it's a new believer, because his conscience is very soft and very sensitive. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, and again, I think he's getting back at this idea of prayer. Back in verse 26, he says, the earth is the Lord and all it contains. So I am thankful for this food. I have blessed this food. I have thanked God for this food. If I partake with thankfulness, if I can say I'm truly thankful to God for this, true, for this food, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Why do I actually sin against my brother and thank God at the same time? That's a picture of what's going on here. And I'm going to stop now um, because I, I just don't have time to, to go on with the other two points of a way to use your freedom, and we'll pick that up next week, a way to use freedom to, to glorify God. But freedom builds God's kingdom if we use it correctly. It blesses others if we use it correctly, and it avoids legalism. And I think that um, I think sometimes we underestimate the power of love for one another. And I'll just, I'll just close with this idea, just to give you think, get you thinking about this. But, you know, we have this idea that we are to be witnesses in the world, and indeed, that's why we are here, to witness to unbelievers. But we have this idea that somehow the gospel message is so stale or so boring that it needs a little help. And so, therefore, we must do something so that we can attract people uh, and give, you hear people say, give the gospel a platform, all right? And so you have this, you know, like in the 80s, this became very popular. And, you know, if you had a Baptist church with a big basement, you would make a bowling alley there. And then you'd invite people to come and bowl, and, uh, and then, then they, would, uh, they would be able to, you know, um, you'd be able to witness to them because... They're bowling, I guess, and that's a good sport for witnessing. But it's, a, it's this idea that we need to, you, you know, it, it could be anything. It could be anything. Not that, bowl, listen, I'm not against bowling. It's fine. You have freedom to bowl. Don't go out here, you know, saying, is, is this a bowling alley? Um, 
Or I know a church that has a bowling alley, all right? I'm I'm trying to avoid legalism here. But if you are trapped into thinking that the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ needs anything to build a platform for unbelievers to somehow attract them because somehow it's not able to attract them on its own, you don't understand the gospel. And if there is anything that is going to attract them, that's going to make them say, wait, what? It's the way you love one another. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, which wasn't a new commandment, but as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And what does he say next? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples in the way that you love one another. If you're going to use anything as a platform to preaching the gospel, may it be in relationships that you have with one another in this fellowship group, in your Bible studies, in this church, so that people say, wow, those people at Grace Community Church, you won't believe the way they love one another. I've never seen anything like it in this world. We have three minutes left. Any questions? Okay, we'll pick it up next week. I'll let you go get a seat in the main service. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your grace in our lives. We, we, we are, we're just blown away. Forgive us, Father, for thinking about our freedoms in ways that are only for our enjoyment. Our greatest joy is found in glorifying you, so help us to use our freedoms, loving others, building your kingdom, blessing others, considering them better than we are, and avoiding the tendency of legalism. We commit this to you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.